Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have one repeat guest and then one new guest today with us. Wes Lowe is here. You did a couple episodes with us last year yeah. in the spring and then helped out on a sponsor podcast episode at the Short Course a couple of years ago, too. And then Mike Mulvaney's with us. Mike's a new guest on the podcast with us. So, Mike, welcome to Stoneville. Happy to be here. Wes is an engineer, and a lot of y'all know Wes, and he works well, I'm not even going to say. I, I would say he's an engineer that you can have a conversation with. Yeah, I try to be that way. In, in my prior life, when I was a headhunter, which basically those of us in the headhunting world, technical recruiter, I dealt with automotive engineers. And a lot of those folks are difficult to talk with at best. They're, they're extremely intelligent within their general area of expertise, but people skills are lacking. You're not lacking in people skills. Yeah, well, thank you. I, 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 I try to be practical with this. You know, it's some of the stuff that we do is is super technical, but just try to apply common sense to it, and that way, what we do, I can turn it back into something that's relatable to everyone. What I was going to say, I don't know if Wes works for MSU Extension or Mafis or Biological Ag Engineering Department, so I didn't want to misspeak on the intro so who do you technically um who supervises you (laughs) (laughs) you know that's probably the best question of the day i'm not really sure who that person is i mean on paper i work for agricultural and biological engineering and fall under the mafis umbrella okay Uh, but there's just no way to to do the job that i do without not getting into extension in some way there's no reason to to work in this technology if we're not transferring that that information back to the people that are going to use it yeah that's all just yeah that's all just paperwork we're not yeah, worried, that's, right. that's that. just what your appointment is we all have an extension hat that we need to put on even yeah. if you run into somebody at the grocery store and you're having a conversation with them that is a moment that is best captured as extension absolutely give it to them if they ask for it make sure that you give them everything that they need that's right it's just having a conversation it is so, Mike, why don't you share a little bit about who you work for? Well, I've been here for a year and a half. I uh, have a three-way split, so I have an extension appointment, research, and, and teaching appointment. Yeah, I kind of wear all the hats. And you're in plant soil sciences in Stark. That's right. And we're going to talk about some work that y'all are doing together on precision planting today. Advanced planting technology. Yeah. Yeah. We know it's not planting season, but we thought it was a pretty cool project that Mike and Wes are working on so get y'all thinking about stuff maybe for next year when we get going but before we start I my chair fell out you're having all <laughs> sorts of technical <laughs> issues over there the arm on the microphone falls computer would hook up I hit it with my leg I changed my question midstream when you got to talking about Wes being an engineer all right so Wes last night we're watching Transformers the, <laughs> oh, here the we original go. Transformers and so Aaron's a little guy. He's two, two and a half, and he has a what seems like an incredible vocabulary for a two-year-old, but he can't really tell you what he wants you to know. And so he just kept saying, <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, robot, Daddy, robot. So my question is, is a transformer a transformer or is it a robot? You know, so you're, you're, you're putting me in a position that I, I guess technically it's a robot, but I mean – 
it's got some AI. So, you know, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer this question. <laughs> no, I think you captured everything right there. Yeah. How did, how did we end up in this spot again? Uh, that's, that's just, that's what we do. That's what popped into my brain. That's an excellent question. It is. Yeah. I, I, I had never heard a transformer referred to as a robot. I mean, we had transformers when I was a little guy. Didn't have transformer movie, but cartoon and. No, I might would have been a pixelated cartoon at that point. We had nothing that actually contained actors and all the rest of that. I probably even had some little Transformer action figures or something. My brother had all those. I didn't have those. G.I. Joe stuff, yes. Well, that was past your time. You Stop. <laughs> Boy, there's a lot of finger pointing going on here. Get, stop. Well, I'm Tom, not that much older than you are. Tom's pretty aged, so... <laughs> No, he's, he's no Don Cook, but. <laughs> right. Nobody's as old as Don. That's a fact. All right. So you two have a pretty sizable project together. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about how you all got together, how that works, how it flows, and what your general goal is. I hesitate to say objective. Well, I guess, you know, I'd seen the work that others were doing in this, in this area and I never really had the opportunity to play in this space before because I didn't really have engineers that I could work with. So when I came to Mississippi State, I ran into Wes in the parking lot or somebody introduced us. I think it was during my interview. It was, yeah. Darren Dodds introduced us uh, during it. your interview, and it just went downhill from there. Yeah, and I said, all right, well, I got an engineer I can work with, so I can ask all kinds of questions that I couldn't ask before. Like you said, he keeps it real. I like to keep my research really applied. I had a bunch of stuff that I wanted to work on regarding precision planting technologies, and I can lean on him for the for the technical expertise. So, We were pretty fortunate. I had worked out a, an industry relationship where we got some uh, advanced uh, planting technology equipment to, to outfit a planter. Mike and I, through conversations, it just it grew into the point of, hey, let's evaluate this stuff from the producer standpoint. We've got all this information out here. Let's figure out what we can and can't do with it, what it's capable of, what its, what its limitations are, and how does that really translate into real row crop production systems? Well, and what is our limitation now in agriculture? And and I know that's a pretty broad question, and I know I know you laugh, Mike. I, I get it. That that's a that's a fairly broad question. Focus on one major limitation, because I mean, there's there's one that pops into my head, and that's time, and essentially speed, and a lot of the precision planning is really focused on that, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's exactly the idea. So the way I'm thinking about this, there's a lot of components in precision planting technologies, and the thing, I'm a soybean guy, and so the thing I'm after isn't necessarily equal spacing and that kind of stuff, My, because it's just such a plastic crop. Although, you know, we're interested in that for other crops, and, you know, we ask those same questions in corn, we hook up with the corn guys to tackle those questions. But my thinking is we already know that that planting window is pretty narrow and pretty important. So planting in that, and then, of course, <laughs> I'm in Mississippi, so the soils here, y'all just don't drain soils. Like they just <laughs> love to hold on to moisture. And so we've got like this three week optimal planting window for soybean. And the more acres that we can plant in that window, I'm thinking on a statewide average, if we plant more acres in that window, we get better yields. We're pushing our state averages, that kind of thing. Now that's 
that's the idea, right? Like, I'm not saying that's where we're at. There's a bunch of stuff that needs to go along with that. Like, for example, if we plant more acres, we got more those acres at the same risk times, right? Like, you, what are you going to do with all that grain when you're done? Can you move it? So there's other, there, you know, there could be, you know, storage questions or handling questions to go along, it, you know, if it works out. So, yeah, I, that's, but that's where I'm ultimately coming at. So by May 1, we have our five-year planting average. We've only got about 35% of our soybean acres planted by May 1, right? Now, not all of those acres, some are double-cropped, right? Like not all of those are going for those early planting systems, but the majority are. And so, you know, the idea is if we can plant, I'm just going to throw out numbers. If we can go from five miles an hour to 10 miles an hour, we can plant twice the acreage spitballing depends on field size all that stuff depends on the problems that you're having out with with the technology too but anyway that's the that's the idea behind this behind planting with speed so what's realistic well realistic in terms of speed yeah so last year we had no treatment difference we had five site years four were harvested and we had no yield differences planting at i think it was about nine and a half ten miles an hour that gave me confidence to team up with the on-farm trial in, in Marks. And so we went on-farm with that, and we went out and planted, and beans look great out there. So, you know, I like to test the technologies before I and be pretty sure they're going to work before I go and put them on a farmer field. No complaints yet. We'll, we'll see how they cut, but... I've been over there a couple of times, and they look really good. Uh, you can't tell any difference in any of the treatments, and I think we planted up to 12 miles an hour over there. That's right. Yeah, we pushed it, actually. We couldn't yeah. hit 10. I, I can't remember why we couldn't hit 10 gear ratios or something like that, but... Yeah. Yeah, we ended up putting <laughs> planting at twelve miles an hour. Eleven point nine miles an hour. <laughs> you know, obviously the the field was in really good shape. I, you know, we it was it was good fall tillage, very you know, very good, well prepared beds. But that thing was screaming. I mean, I'm just thinking about that. Especially if you're hooked to a planter, that's just an unnatural speed. Spraying is in my head and when you're flying through plots in some high clearance sprayer at somewhere between three and five miles an hour. When you're only talking about a 30 foot plot, the alley comes rather rapidly. So I can only imagine 12 miles an hour or. These are, these are 200 foot, you know, at least 200 foot plots. Right. I mean, you got to make them long. What else goes into that? What do you have to factor into when you talk about these precision planning technologies and any of that advanced planning technologies? What's the one thing you really have to focus on from an equipment standpoint? Well, I'm going to pass this off pretty quick to Wes, but like the first thing, the first, the first questions that we always get are, you know, what about, you know, bouncing around in the tractor, bouncing around on in the, on the hoppers. And then that of course calls into question seed depth, which then calls into question downforce. And that's where I pass it off to Wes. Yeah, all of those things are, are, are definitely considerations. Making sure that that row unit stays in contact with the soil and we get, we're getting that seed exactly where we want it to be. Downforce is a huge thing. To be able to specifically put our finger on it at this point of what is optimum downforce and what is, what is optimum speed to match those two together, we're just not quite there. We're working on it, but we do see that if you don't have enough downforce, if you don't have something that has a, a, a quick response time to keep that row unit on the ground, you're going to lay seed on top of the ground every time. And, you know, if you don't, no good seeds, seed to soil contact and your emergence turns pretty crappy in a hurry. Soil prep. Uh, yeah, soil prep is also another thing that's probably going to 
we we have a really strong feeling that is going to be extremely important. You're not going to go out there and pull up fresh beds and then go run 10 miles an hour. I mean, that's just common sense to begin with. But if you don't have really good beds, you know, that's going to be your big limiting factor for uh, for planting, unless you're planting flat. There are some producers in the hills that are still a lot of, I guess, a lot of soybeans in the hills are still planted flat. But thinking about it a little bit differently from some of the other stuff that we're doing, I've done a little bit of cotton this time, and so we've been looking at it. And one of the big considerations there is singulated versus hill drop cotton, and what happens, you know, what happens at speed if you're not putting that seed exactly where it needs to be. Or we're gonna, you know, we get a heavy rain, is it gonna push and break that soil if we get crusting? And we've got some initial stuff there that looks looks really promising. We had two site years last year, and we've also got two site years again this year. And the prelim data on it looks really good that singulated cotton is performing as equally as well as, uh, as our two, three, or four seed hill drop in terms of, of emergence. What we're also seeing is even in situations, this year we had a really, really heavy packing rain right after our planting. I was really concerned about it. And this is in heavy clay, heavy clay soils over in Brooksville. So yeah, that, well, that's what you want to yeah, test your treatments yeah. there. That's and emergence was not affected enough to uh, that we feel like will affect yield. I, I think our populations are only down maybe 1,500, 2,000 plants an acre. So it's not a lot. And these are, again, these are not 30-foot plots. We're probably about 250 to 300 feet plots. So we're doing... We're doing full strips, four rows, and, and we're going to harvest, take everything to yield, compare it with stuff last year. But we're seeing that, uh, we're seeing also that singulated cotton works just as well with this system. So uh, we planted a second trial this year with speed to look at the effects of it as well. So we're going to expand that as we move forward. I, I know traditionally for me, when we were farming, four and a half miles an hour, 4.2 to four and a half miles an hour is probably a good average speed for planting cotton. And we did some on-farm last year, and then we also did this year with some speed on, on station, some six and a half, seven and a half mile an hour stuff to compare with a, with a four, four and a half mile an hour to see, is there an effect of that? So if we can gain just a little bit of efficiency there, those two miles an hour may mean that, you know, definitely makes the difference between getting our crop in at the optimum time and not, and then, um, and then also just speeding up just a little bit may get into some of the economics of, of actual equipment selection. Can we drop another equi- another tractor and planter out of the production system, which you know obviously also translates into either freeing up that labor to do something else, or maybe not having to have as much labor on the farm to be able to accomplish the same amount of goals. So I know our labor situation continues to to be a problem, and H two A is becoming more and more prevalent in in the way that we have to do things you know those those considerations are definitely something that we uh we definitely have to keep our our head wrapped around and our eye on to make sure that as we look at this stuff that we're considering those things as well i got a lot of questions (laughs) do do it man I, i have some of the same ones some of them probably don't have the data on yet to answer but as you were talking Wes I kind of envisioned this almost like a rate controller on a sprayer speeding up and slowing down because obviously you can't run 10 miles an hour to the end of the row right and maybe the 10 not even realistic but like you said if you could bump to five and a half six and a half seven and a half I mean that's you get into 20 percent 30 percent over the course of a day that's a, a big time difference yeah so, first question, soil texture. I mean, you mentioned 
the quality of the bed, and I you 100% get that. But then like a, a silk loam versus a clay, say well-prepared either way on either one of those soil textures, and then related to that, variable soil texture down the row. So you go like from a maybe a hard clay on one end, like a red clay, into more maybe a mellow, darker, high CEC clay going down the row. Yeah, so we're already doing variable rate seeding dependent upon soil type. This has been one of the things that I've envisioned since we started doing this was, why are we not also doing variable rate downforce? Soil type and texture definitely plays a huge part in where we want to put that seed, not necessarily in terms of of depth per se, but more from the the standpoint of how hard is it for us to get that seed to depth, you know, especially in finely textured soils that really that really pack like clays. Can we we need more downforce there than we do in something that's a little looser? And and you guys know you're in the field every day. The variability in soil type in the fields here can go from from blow sand on one end to the hardest clay in the world, buckshot on the other. And we just the technology's just not there yet. But it is something that uh, I've had a couple of conversations with people in industry about this, and I think that that's something that that could potentially be something that would be useful for us. You know, to have that technology or that capability, we actually have it now. Uh, in the in the grand scheme of things, it's just a uh, it's just an adaptation of what we've got. So with hydraulic downforce, which is it, which is really where you're going to have to be because you've got to be super responsive in this. Uh, pneumatic doesn't seem to move as quickly as the hydraulic is. So hydraulic's pretty much instantaneous. If there's some way for us to be able to correlate those uh, or correlate that stuff back, whether it's through our our soil maps from soil sampling that we create. Or if it's something that's that's sensed in real time, we do know that for us to be able to do what we're doing, we're going to have to, that's probably one of the next steps is in addition to variable rate seeding is also that variable rate downforce. My question on that is always the quality of the maps that's going into the prescription, yeah. right? Like how are you going <laughs> to... Yeah. What are you going to do, bulk density sampling on a grid sample? How good are they? And, and when yeah. I ask that, how good are the ones that say, for example, you can overlay on something like Google Earth? <laughs> I, I, I mean, how right, good right. is that information that you put into it? Because it's a, it's a garbage in, that's garbage exact, out type that's situation. That's exactly right. right? Yeah. Yeah. We can come you up can, with all kinds of prescription maps. But yeah. if right. the, and, and the technology will put it out. Like Wes said, it might put out, you know, 20 feet after after it's supposed to put out, but that's just a response time of the technology. But regardless, we can do variable rate stuff, but how good are the maps going in to make those decisions? Because I would imagine some of that's based on a approximation. It's not exact. Of course. How fine is the approximation when you get into that type of a discussion? Because, yeah, is it feet or is it hundreds of feet? Yeah, and that's what we're dealing with already with our, our fertility stuff now. It's, it's just GPS and computers yeah. because you can do a lot of that that we're talking about, but how does it fit then when you're actually applying that to this type of a system? Because that may be stretching the constraints of the box that we're trying to create. Yeah, absolutely. And as we move forward, technology grows and sensors get more sophisticated and they're they're able to, to read different things in a lot quicker time. I mean... Being able to to detect in real time 
what's going on at that spot and make a determination from that is is the key to it. I was using the uh, using that as as an example of we've already got we've already got soil type and texture information from multiple sources. So uh, web soil survey, and then we've also got stuff that's coming off of our our grid sampling. But there's a lot of interpolation between those points. So we don't really, you know, I'm, we're using some type of algorithm to determine at what point this soil type and texture changes between two points. And so we're drawing those lines and, and like, like you say, garbage in, garbage out, if we make a mistake there. Or somebody uses an algorithm that isn't exactly what we needed, then we end up with lines that don't match up with that. The technology is going to do what we ask it to. So the important part of it is is making sure that we give it correct and factual information that's accurate. Because if we don't, then we're going to get exactly what we asked for, which was which was wrong from the start. I think that the way that we that we do things, if we're going to advance this technology, maybe even in the short term, our our soil sampling may have to become a little bit. The resolution may have to get a little bit tighter, or we may have to come up with a way to come up with a way to uh, to sample in real time some way or another uh, just to give us a little bit better information. I can't speak to whether or not this technology works because I have not tested it, but there are soil moisture sensors, right, that, deter- that are s- supposed to put seed in soil moisture, right, on the fly, and that's supposed to be able to change your, your downforce. Now, we haven't played with that, but that's the kind of technology that, you know, Wes is talking about where you can sense on the fly that's kind of like the golden goose, right? Like we've been trying to do remote sensing of whatever soil carbon for, for as long as I've been in, in grad, since grad school. Anyway, I, I just don't know. I haven't evaluated it yet, but I think that's where it's going, right? That's where it's trying. That's where the technology is trying to go. And I say this like I know, but that technology is not in a vacuum either. It's evolving as well. Is that, yeah. I think that's accurate. Well, there's folks working on, there, yeah, more precise mapping capabilities. Absolutely, we already know as an industry that we've got to have it. Like we were talking about, garbage in, garbage out. We've got to make sure that we eliminate the garbage because if we don't, then we're going to continue to produce what we're producing. And obviously, as as we are called on as as agriculturalists to to produce more with less, we've got to become more efficient. And this is the first step in that: is starting out with good information. Because if you start out with bad information, we're going to continue. We're going to continue to to fall short. And so those sensors and all these other technologies, there's people all over the place that are working on those to create the information in real time what we need. In some instances, there's there's stuff that exists in other industries that could be brought over. We just haven't adapted it yet. And I think that's as we move forward, we identify. Mike and I are, are notorious for sitting down with a simple problem, and within 15 minutes, a whiteboard is full of ridiculous <laughs> ideas that that are just crazy so enough. True. Yeah, that are just crazy enough that some of them might work. So it's kind of the same thing. This is what's going on. There's people that are out there working on ridiculous ideas that could potentially be the answers to the things that we need to, to be That's better. That's the definition do. or a loose definition of innovation. <laughs> it's just. It's research. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is. That's exactly right. That's how you solve things from the ground up. You have conversations and put everything together. There was a point in time where the mechanical cotton picker was pretty outlandish. Yeah. I'm convinced it was somebody sitting in a bunker 
somewhere in Europe and realized when he was coming home, he was going to have to be picking cotton. And instead, he came up with that cotton picker technology while he was sitting there waiting for, plus it gave his mind something to think about while the shells were coming across from the other side. I mean, let's, let's be honest about it. <laughs> in the time frame, that probably occurred, give or take. I could get behind that. Yeah, it, it, that makes sense. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. And in this case, maybe a little bit of hesitation about having to go back to the farm and, and do that manual labor again may be, the, may be the key to it. Well, and so. it's putting all these things together because, let's face it, those contour maps they use for soils, it's just where you insert the numbers, and it's just kind of connecting the dots based on how the program does that from a software standpoint. And that's a loose interpretation but all it does is it creaks between points that it has information on, would be my assumption. Mm-hmm. And that's probably not a great word. But Yeah, you're talking about from grid sampling or you're talking about from, a, from the soil maps? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, based uh, on that soil map, it's based on something. Right. Well, those soil maps, just because you've got two different soil types next to each other doesn't mean that they're different soil textures or that they're different soil you know, drainage classes. It's just a different soil type. It could have a different, you know, argillic horizon or something, right? So the soil maps aren't something that you'd want to just kind of use blindly. Right. Right. And when I say soil maps, I mean maps of soil type, right? So we're talking more about soil texture, which as as a means to map. Mike, y'all have a couple years invested in this research to this point. What's kind of, at least from this standpoint right now, not having all your data from your second season, what's a good take-home message for right now, at least. Well, the the take-home message is so far, we're able to plant at significantly faster planting speeds using these advanced planting technologies. That's kind of the take-home message. Now, we do find it doesn't always, the, the, the stand doesn't always decline, but it tends to decline at higher planting speeds. So, no, it's not, you wouldn't want to be planting at 100,000 or, God forbid, 80,000 seed per acre. I'm talking beans here, obviously, you know, at speed. And then because then what's going to happen is you're going to drop below some, you know, yield limiting threshold on plant stands, right? So, but we're planting 120, 140,000 seed per acre. So at those seeding rates, yeah, we're going to, we may find a lower plant stands at speed, but it's nothing to be concerned about. Um, you're still well above any yield limiting thresholds. So if your plant stands do decrease, obviously that, well, the correlation to go with that is your, your plant stand variability, the, the variability between plants increases as well. Again, in beans, being such a plastic crop doesn't matter. So in beans, we're not after the precision, we're after the speed. In corn, you know, we're just doing our first year of data in corn. I think, I suspect it's going to be the opposite, right? you how fast can you plant before you start losing the precision that that you need in a corn system? So, yeah, and I think that uh, in in corn and just uh, just looking at it from the cotton that we've done already, the lower the population, the the less fall off there is. So that one percent or that half a percent or whatever that adjustment is is just a few seeds as opposed to several thousand seed. It seems to be that this is going to be not going to be as big of a factor in maybe corn or, or cotton, something with a, with lower populations, you know, something that you're planting in the 20s or 30s or even into the 40s with cotton. So realistically, we start seeing it when we start crossing that 120, 130,000 seed to the acre threshold and, 
you think about uh, 120, 130,000 seed to the acre at, at 12 miles an hour or 10, even 10 miles an hour, how many seed have to come out of that tube? How fast to, that yeah, meter's yeah, running. How fast that meter's running. That's our limiting factors. The technology, it only works in a certain window, and, and we're pushing it beyond what they actually designed it for. I mean, there's a they've got charts that say, hey, you if you're going to plant it at 10 miles an hour, you don't need to plant over this population. So we already know those things, but we're being good, devout scientists like we are. We're going to push it beyond that and just see what we've got to do to break it or how far we can push it because everybody always builds in a safety factor to that number. But we still need to know, is this an accurate number and what we can and what we can't do. Uh, at the end of the day, if a grower calls and says, hey, I want to do this, you, we need to have the information available to us to where we can say, okay, um, yeah, I think that will work. This is what we've seen. Or no, you can't do it that way. You can't plant 140,000 at, at 10 miles an hour confidently. You're going to have to back down to eight and a half, nine miles an hour. And that, I guess that's part of the uh, part of the fun in what we do is the fact that uh, we get to do stuff that just like that, that just answers those questions. But also, it's it's kind of cool to watch a tractor putting seed in the ground at, at, at 12 miles an hour. You know, it's just, it's almost unheard of, and, and it just looks unnatural almost. Yeah, I mean, we, we're trying to push the limits, right? Like, yeah. any if you do a fertility study or what, you want to see that yield curve, you know, you find you want to see that yield drag at, at the far end of your treatments, right? So we're, we're not going to say, okay, go out and plant at 12 miles an hour. Not quite yet. Maybe eventually we can get there, maybe. Again, like, if we're planting at, let's say, four, and you go to six, you just planted, well theoretically 50% more acres in the same amount of time given the turn rows and all that. So even if you're only gaining one or two miles an hour, that's a significant improvement in acres covered. 12 miles an hour, you could make a case for wearing a seatbelt that nobody's ever worn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because the first question I always get on this is what's it like for the operator? <laughs> right. And we've got the air cab and we've got, it, it's a, it's a beautiful rig and the guys coming out, are saying they didn't really discover, you know, they didn't really feel it that bad, as bad as they thought it, they would. Um, but, you know, again, I think a lot of this is land prep, right? You've got a well-prepared field. You've got the air seats and the air cabs. If you're out there in a poorly, I feel like a poorly pre prepared field on a beautiful soil is not, is not going to be as good as a well-prepared bed on a, on a really hard clay, you know? I feel like your bed prep goes factors a lot into this, maybe even more than soil type. But keep an eye out for the water furs. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, we've got graduate student looking at this, and you know I should say that's funded by the Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board. So you know we're super happy to have their support on this. There's lots of lots of questions we can tackle on this. Mike and Wes, thanks so much. Really appreciate you coming over, sitting down with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having us again. I'd be glad to come back. Thank you. Thanks, guys. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.